Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. Good morning. All right, I'm glad I passed the first test of strength this morning of getting the, the wooden podium to the front as opposed to the using the, um, the metal one. So, uh, uh, so this morning, uh, we're going to talk about Nehemiah chapter 13, primarily refer back to some, some of the other um, sermons and some of the other things we've talked about in, in the past few weeks. But Nehemiah 13 is, is kind of come to the kitchen table conversation. And I say that for a reason. If, you, if you've not yet uh, come into that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if you're a seeker, if, you, if you're here this morning and, and you're, you're kind of seeking out your life and who, who you want God to be in your life and how you want to serve him or, or, or considering being a follower of Christ, let me be honest, this, this, sermon, this sermon may not be for you. You're kind of getting to sit in on a family conference and, and listen to what God's saying to us as followers of Christ. Because in my estimation, this, this whole, this book, this story in Nehemiah, this journey in Nehemiah, is not just about a city and a people and a man. It's about us. It's our story. It's our journey. It's our walk as we're looking at it. As we reflect in it, then I start seeing myself reflected in the pages of the Word of God, and therefore the Holy Spirit of God brings conviction to my soul. But if you are a seeker, if you are a person who's just trying to say, "Am I really going to be? Am I really going to be a follower of Christ? Am I really?" Let me let me kind of back up a, a, a few pages and passages. I'm, I'm going to stretch the illustration a little bit. It all starts in Ezra when. The temple is in ruins. The city is in ruins. The walls are in ruins. And the Lord sends a priest and eventually a governor to repair. So I ask you, if you're a seeker, if you're trying to figure this out, and all you look around and you see ruins around you, things are just not going like, I need help. I can no longer, I no longer can, 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 can base my life on my talent or my lovely personality or my great looks or my connections or my rank. Things just seem to be falling apart. I need help. There's got to be more than life than just working my brains out for 40 years and passing on. There's something missing in my life. There's got to be more, and I'm telling you there is. His name is Jesus. He wants to be your Savior. He wants to step into your life. And help you through this journey of life, but not solve all your problems and have a problem-free life, but have a guide through a life that is difficult so you can be a living, breathing example of a loving God who guides you through life, who, who died for you on the cross, and wants to be your Savior and help you in life. That's what it is. So if you're a seeker, that first part's for you. But you get to sit on the rest of the family conference this morning, okay? Sometimes that's fun. Maybe that's maybe happened to you when you were younger. You, you showed up at, at the house, and all of a sudden, you're at a friend's house, and all of a sudden, there's a family conference called. You're like, oh, let's see how this goes. 
Uh, I know how the family conferences go in my house. They say how oh, this goes at, at your house, my good friend. And uh, that's always an interesting thing to go through. So in Nehemiah, uh, Warren Wiersbe kind of introduces the the, the, the the section of Ezra and Nehemiah by saying, said, following the restoration of the land and the Jewish nation experienced times of trial and reproach, but the Lord saw them through. The emphasis in Ezra and Nehemiah is on trusting God for a new beginning and doing his work no matter what the obstacles and opposition are, and it are, they are encountering. Through the days, maybe dark, God is there to guide us, protect us, and help us. That's Warren Wiersbe in, in one, of his, one of his books. See, the truth is, if I were writing this story, okay, or if you were a Hollywood producer and you were going to make a movie about Nehemiah, you'd probably want to end in chapter 12. Let's just be honest. You'd probably just like kind of like, and cut and everything was restored and everybody's happy and they lived happily ever after and you would end of this story and you'd end of this 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 series you'd end of the movie at nehemiah chapter 12 and be like we're not going to talk about chapter 13 we're going to talk about that the, the the issue is that this is as we think this is probably a a journal of nehemiah that's why it's always in first person and it's always He's probably telling he's telling some things and being very, very transparent, some things along the way. So what I love about God's word. Uh, it's funny, sometimes we say, you know, man, it must have been easier back in biblical times. And look at the history, the, 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 uh, the heroes of faith like David and, and Nehemiah and, and, and John and, and, and lift these people up like they had it easier than us. But the realization is, do you, would you want your life displayed for all of the universe, for all of eternity to be displayed in what you did or didn't do in your following of God and following of Christ? But that's the beautiful, beautiful thing about the Bible. It tells the truth. The whole truth. And it shows our struggles as we walk with God and how our dependency upon God must be tied to him every single day. So as we go, it says this. So, so as I've, I've read this book and, and kind of followed along in, in, in some of the services, we, we learned last week, just last week, here's what we learned. That we de- decided to dedicate what God gives with thanksgiving, with joy, and with purpose. Yeah. Like, I got it. We're going to dedicate I'm gonna, yep, what, what God set aside and what God has ordained in my life. I'm going to give it to a joy. I'm going to dedicate it to him with purpose, and I want him to work in my life. That was like chapter 12. So as a story of Nehemiah, right, he comes and he becomes the governor, and he kind of helps establish the walls. Twelve years later, he goes back to the king, and that's chapter 12 where it ends. We don't know the time period, but some things started kind of going awry, and all of a sudden Nehemiah decides to go back to the city. And we don't know how much time it took place. But we know, do know that he returned back to the city. And he found things not going so well. In essence, he calls a family meeting. Now, let, let me be transparent, okay? Nehemiah is not a priest. He's not a prophet. He's not a king. He's a governor. He's a layman. And he, and he kind of gets off the chain. Okay. If you read chapter 13, you kind of, I don't know that 
Dan, pastor, senior pastor Dan, I don't think we can get away with this. We can't. We can't. He said it. He confirmed it. We can't. He just confirmed it right there. We can't get it. Nehemiah loses his mind. Mom, dad, it ever happened in in the family conference? You ever lose your mind and then the kids come back? Or, or, or of course, at my age, my favorite time is to, is to get together with my brothers and talk about. Remember when dad lost his mind? And dad's sitting right there and he's like, he kind of blushes. Or remember when mom lost it? That's starting to happen to me. Uh, my oldest daughter's going to come back to the island in a couple of weeks uh, with her husband, and guess, and, and undoubtedly, within the first day, there's going to be with there's going to be the stories of. Remember when dad lost his mind? When we got in trouble? When I did this? And it's funny. It's funny now, right? But but it wasn't so funny when I was losing my mind. So this is the context of the story. Again, if you're a seeker of Christ, if you're a seeker trying to decide if you want to follow Christ or not, you're going to get to sit in on the family conference. But I'm telling you, Jesus is the answer to your life. Brothers and sisters, this is our story. Yeah. And what I want to talk about is not about beating us up. It's about how do we stay aligned to God and, and what he's doing in our life and all the things we've dedicated in the past and all the things we're going to do. How do we live that consistent life and path and walk with him? What has to be in our life? Here we go. It says this. Um, in chapter 13, we see this. And discovered that the portions of the Levites in chapter 13, verse 10, had not been given to them. So the Levites and the singers performed their services had gone away. The choir had left, right? And the priests had left. And all of Judea brought the tithe and the wine, the grain into the storehouses. In charge of the storehouses, appointed the priests. Before this happens, we hear in verse 7, it says, When it came to Jerusalem, learn about an evil that Yoshev had done for Tobiah. By preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. Now, who is this guy, Tobiah? Have, have we heard his name before? Has anybody else brought his name up in, in sermons past? Oh, yeah. What, what did he do? He mocked the service of God in chapter 2, verse 19. He doubted the strength of the work in, in four, chapter 4, verse 3. And he planned to harm Nehemiah and frighten Nehemiah in chapter 6. So this name, this person, has always been kind of out there either mocking, frightening, harming, or threatening, or doubting. That constant reminder of, of God's not strong enough. He hasn't called you. He won't do it. He won't work. This won't work. You're going along, along the long path. This is not going to happen. You need to quit this whole Jesus thing. And on. Have you heard it? That constant reminder of Tobiah saying that you don't need to follow Christ. You don't need to be on the path with the Lord. You don't need him in your life. And he goes into this. So what happens is this. So what is what does Nehemiah discover? That this voice of you're not good enough. You're not strong. The, the walls are not strong enough. I'm going to harm you. I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to threaten you. Where do we find him? He's in the very place where the storehouse for all the things of the tithe that should be should have been brought to into the into the temple, into the city. He's camping out there, he's living there. You see, when we walk away from the principles of God, the very thing that strikes fear in our heart and causes doubt in our walk with God all of a sudden encamps within the walls with us. 
that very thing. So what does Nehemiah do? Pastor, I don't, I don't recommend it. I was very displeased with me, so I threw Tobias' household goods out of the room and gave an order that they cleanse the rooms. It was move-out day for Tobias. When Nehemiah shows up, it was move-out day. The family conference had come around and said, all of a sudden, there, there, there's a, we have a problem here. What Nehemiah is calling them to do, what he does, is to be good stewards of what God has called you to be. Number one is when we are stewards, we tithe our time, our talent, and, and our treasures. Now, this is not a tithing sermon, okay? Could be, but it's not. But what, what are, we, are we called to tithe, tithe our time, our talent, and our treasures? Because it's a constant reminder of our dependence upon God and us being able to be tied to him for everything we need. We tithe our, our time and realize that we only have 24 hours a day, but we're going to give part of that day to the Lord. And how do you do that? Well, in service, in serving other people. But being, being that living, breathing illustration of what it means to follow Christ. Now, I'm not going to rail against the day, rail against the, the world, rail against what's going on in this world. Let me, this has been going on since the beginning of time, whatever it is, in my opinion. And, and, and what God has constantly done. Now, constantly done because of his loving grace. And we'll talk about that in a minute. The Lord continually puts us in. He continually puts us in the situation to be the instruments of grace in other people's lives. Yeah. You see, the most wonderful thing is, and I've said it in a past sermon, to me, as a follower of Christ, the most wonderful thing it, yeah, it's fun to go jump out of an airplane if you like doing that. Yeah, it's, lo- it's fun to go scuba dive if you like that. Yes, it, it's it's fun to, to, to go lay on the beach and just, just I, I love it. I may go this afternoon. Okay, see you there. But you, you know the most exciting thing for me as a, as a follower of Christ? It's when I get to see on the, sit on the front row and see someone turn their life over to Jesus Christ. Why? Because I can go lay on the beach today and the sun's going to go down. And i got to go do something else. But when someone, seeker, seeker of Christ, maybe you listening or are here, when you turn your life over to Christ, it changes your eternity. And not only does it change your eternity, you become a living, breathing example of a follower of Christ among people who need their eternity changed. And it can change the generation of your family. You may come from a family who's never kind of been the church thing or done the Bible thing or certainly hadn't done the Jesus thing. But all of a sudden you have been a change maker within the generations of your own family because you chose to follow the living God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Changes. A talent and a treasure. We're telling God, God, we want to, we, we are so committed to what you want to do. We don't be tied to what we're doing because it, it, it's a constant reminder in this world who brings doubt. You're not strong enough. 
You're not good enough. What God's doing is going to fail. It's not going to work. Now it's encamped inside your city. When we say tide, had 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 they continued to tide, there'd been no space for Tobiah to move in, and he would not have been in the city when Nehemiah came back. Do, do, you see what I'm saying? The more space you create for God to work into your life, the less space you create for Satan to creep into your life. The more space you let God have control of, the less space you give you give ground for Satan to work into your, in, into your family, into your life. That's what Nehemiah is calling to do. All of a sudden, this doubter, this, this hater of God, this non-follower of God, this pagan person is occupying the very space of what connects us to who God is and what God is and allowing him to work in our life. He's occupying that space. So I ask you, what do you need to throw out? What do I need to throw out? And I've kind of lost some of my habits and lost some of my, my practices and lost some of my rituals. And let's be clear, religion's a hard thing. It's a hard thing because sometimes our rituals become the object of worship. Sometimes the rituals become the, the, the litmus for how, we, how are we doing with God as opposed to how are we doing with God. It'd be like saying, you know, with Angel, my wife, saying, you know, hey, you know, well, I tell you, I love you every day, but 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 there's no fruit within that love. There's no showing of that love. There's no emotion in that love. There's no commitment of time in that love. So I, I got it. Religion's a difficult thing. But in our ritual, whatever ritual that may be, time, talent, treasure, whatever the ritual that may be, does it tie you back to the heart of a saving God who wants to work in your life and putting you in a, in a position to be an example of a follower of Christ and compassionately sharing that love of Christ with others around you. Because you want to change eternity. You want to change eternity for those people's lives. Eternity is in the balance. I think we've gotten away from that kind of talk. We're worried about Facebook Live. We're worried about Instagram. We're worried about, you know, know, how, how do I look right now today? Friends, eternity is coming. And are you prepared? More importantly, are your loved ones, coworkers, family members prepared? And the step, the step, again, seekers of Christ, you're just getting to hear family, a family conference this morning. The step is this. When I am a steward of what God's doing in my life, I tithe my talent, my time, and my treasure. You say, well, I'm not a preacher, so my talent's out the window. No. What you do, what, how God made you is important and special, and he has placed you in a position to be a living, breathing example of what it means to follow Christ based on your time, based on your talent, based on your treasure, and I ask you to tithe it to him and give it to him and say, Lord, you show me. You show me the conversations I need to have. Lord, you allow me to go through a difficult time so they can see a follower of Christ who goes through a difficult time, but his eyes, her eyes are fixed on Christ. Why? Friends, eternity is that important. Salvation is that important. We're conditioned, aren't we, in the military? We're conditioned just to kind of hunker down and get through it. Hey, hey, 
preachers in the room who were in the field, God bless you. I, you blessed my soul. I got to creep out of the office and go see them. And those jokers are doing ser- services out in the mud. I love it. It makes it makes my heart so excited. I'm glad you said that. This, the sermon of this title is "Let's Go Again." Right? I took that from you, Dan. I loved it when he said it the first week. Let's go. It, it, it's let's go again. Now, now hear me on this. If you're a follower of Christ, you're like, yep, I'm all a source. We've heard, we use different phrases and terms. We, you know, I'm lukewarm, I'm backslidden, I've got miles off of Christ. All these things we've grown up listening or hearing, you may have heard recently, all, all fine and dandy. But the beautiful thing about God, and we'll find it in a second, that he has the capacity of grace to say, to look at you and say, Let's go again. Let's go. It's never too late. To dedicate your life to the Lord, you know, a chapter ago, now now is right back saying, Larry, let's let's go again. Let's get it reset. Let's go again. So he says this in his prayer. Jesus said in um in John ten ten, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you may have what? Life. Life. And have it to the fullest, or have it more abundantly, whatever your translation. I came that you may have life. In his prayer in 13, verse 14, says, Remember me remember me for this, O my God, and do not blot out my loyal deeds, which I have performed for the house of my God and his services. His prayer is, don't let my life be a waste. That's heavy. Again, Nehemiah is writing in his journal saying, don't let my life be a waste. And I guess that's what I'm asking myself and I'm asking asking us this morning. How do we ensure, how do we ensure that our life is not a waste? How do we arrive at the end of our lifetime, at the end of our career, end of our time span and and look back and, and see, do we see a lot of things that just didn't really matter? are things that cause eternity to be in play at all times. And I ask you to tie your time, your talent, and your treasures. Make space for God in all aspects of your life so that Satan has no space to occupy in your life. That voice that says, not strong enough. What does he say? That mocking voice, that doubting voice, and that plan to harm or bring fear into your life. That's kind of in opposition that I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly, isn't it? So let's create space for God to occupy as we try, as we tithe our time, our talent, and our treasure. Let's go. Second thing is, when we sacrifice, we set apart our heart, our home, and our worship. Yeah. Uh, chapter chapter 13, verse 15. Now, this is, um, he restores the Sabbath. He says, and he came about as, as, as just as it grew dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut, and they should not open them until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates so that uh, 
that no load would enter on the Sabbath day. So not only did they start, they, you know, all these dedications, all these worships, all these things they did, we, what we talk about just, just a few weeks ago. So in chapter 4, we decided to commit to the work, continue the work, and connect with, connect with others in the work. We committed to continue the work together. And Nehemiah did the same thing. And here we come back later, and they had forgotten the Sabbath. The Sabbath had gotten all, all, all askew. And, and, and um, Nehemiah decides to, to reestablish the Sabbath. What does he say? Shut the gate. Block it off. Set aside. Stop everything. So my question is this. Like Chapman Bryant, you're meddling. Well, this is kind of about, that's what the family meeting's all about, right? Where do we need to shut the gate? Where in my life do I need to shut the gate? Where in your life do you need to shut the gate? That your heart, that your home, and your worship is set apart. We're called to be in the world, but not of the world. Now, let me be clear. I'll be honest with you. There are times that I wish that that you, there was some way for me to just come to faith and all of a sudden rapture instantaneously. Yes, I asked, I asked Jesus Christ to come into my life, to be my Lord and Savior, or take control of my life, sit on the throne of my life and be my Lord, and bam, I'm with it. To escape this struggle, escape this fight, escape this thing going on in my life. But in that case, I think we miss it. We miss the thing that the heart of God loves the most. Do you realize that Jesus didn't, not only he saved you and accepted your life for, yes, for eternity? Let me back up. To say that Christ saved you only for eternity is to say the only reason you have kids is to have somebody to tote you to the grave. That makes sense? To say the only reason Christ saved you, saved you is for eternity is to say that you don't want, he didn't want any interaction with you throughout your days, day in and day out. I suspect that you had children so that you had this interaction. You were ready for the challenge. You wanted to interact to be an integral part of their life and interact every day in this. The thing that's so laborious now of having children is actually the thing that you have the most pride in most of the time because it takes everything from you. It costs you your life. They're going to rebel, but you love them unconditionally. Sounds like the gospel to me. So I tell you, I tell you, we we sacrifice. When we sacrifice, we we set apart our heart, our home, and our worship. In thirteen twenty two, Nehemiah prays this. He says, "For this also remember me, O my God, and have compassion on me according to the greatness, according to the greatness." Of your loving kindness. Nehemiah says two things in here when he when he realizes that the 
they're, they're selling things and they're it's, it's kind of it's kind of foreshadowing of what Christ does in the temple. Let's be honest. Yes, that's right. It's a foreshadowing of Christ clearing the temple, but, but Nehemiah is basically is shutting down the temple, shutting down the gates, so that we, we that they can't you know sell and trade and buy and and swap with pagan uh, you know, people of the pagan faith on the, on the holy days and all that going on. And he does two things: he shuts the gates, and he does something that. There's some guys kind of hanging outside the gates who are sellers, like, hey, they'll just slip out the gates and buy some stuff. So he says, so I went, warned them and said to them, why don't you spend the night in front of the wall? If you, if you do so again, I will use force against you. From that time on, they didn't come, come to the Sabbath. What is it? What is it in our lives that robs us of being able to set apart our heart our home, and our worship. We may have to close some things and we may have to threaten some things. Hey, chaplain, that's somebody, you know, you're a non-combatant, you know. But we got to take a stand. Sometimes we have to take a stand and say, hey, this is not allowed in, 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 in my home. This is not going to be allowed in my heart. And this is not going to be allowed to interfere with my worship. And again, Nehemiah's not a priest. He's not a prophet. He's come back as governor. And he's taking a stand and he's saying, shut the gate. And depending on where you are in life. And depending on what's going on in your life. Depending on what you're having to shut the gate for. Now I can list out all mine and you would just know all the things I got to, you know, shut the gate for, okay? That would be quite embarrassing. But nor would I ask you to let, list out yours. But it could be anything from a habit to an attitude to a lack of forgiveness to whatever it may be. And I'm asking you, let's go again. Let's shut the gate. Let's go again. Face that thing that, that so encumbers you to use a New Testament term, to be encumbered with sin, threaten it. You are not allowed here anymore. Stop camping out in front of my door. Stop hanging out. Your payday is over. Satan, your, your, your hooks in me are gone. I am making holy. I am separating these parts of my life. My heart, my home, and my worship. He says this. The last one is this. When we are set apart, we're living a holy life. What's the Bible commands to be, to do to be? Be holy. You're like, well, chaplain, I'm you know, I'm I'm not a holy feller. I'm not a holy holy person. I'm not gonna do the holy thing. We are called to be holy. What does holy mean? To be set apart. It's not set above. It's just we are, this something is set apart for the dedication, for the use of God's hands. That's what it's for. I'm not called to live my life and, and to, to pursue my career and do great and wonderful things. All that may or may not happen. I am called to be holy. 
I'm called to be set apart. As something that was bought with a price. It's so song, he paid a debt I did not owe. Right? He did not owe, he paid a debt he did not owe for me. Whereas just as the temple was set apart, just as the holy holy of holies is set apart, you are to be set apart. I am to be set apart. I get it. This is family meeting. And don't be mad at the messengers. This is Nehemiah chapter 13. We've been called into the to the living room, called to the kitchen table to say, where are we in this in this process? In chapter nine, we were we, we came before God in humility. We confessed our sins. We remembered God's salvation. We committed to live, live lives as God's people. We did that back in chapter nine. Let me say it again. We came before God in humility. We confessed our sins. We remembered God God's salvation, and we committed to live as God's people. In Nehemiah chapter 13, we're asked to set apart holy lives. Now, 23 through 31, there's a lot of craziness going on. Let's be honest. Nehemiah is dragging people by their hair, and he's hitting people, and he's threatening people, and, and he's kind of off the chain. I'm not going to say the Bible's in error or any of that. I'm just saying that's just... That's the transparency of God's word. But here's what these violent actions are preserving. Let's be honest. A lineage of Christ, where the salvation is linked from, from Adam to the first Adam to the second Adam, who is Jesus Christ. It protects the fact that there, that there, is, a, there is a linkage from Jesus Christ all the way back to the first Adam. There's a linkage in the priesthood. There's a linkage... In, in the prophet, there's a linkage in the king of Christ. His lineage is preserved. The place of, uh, of worship is preserved. The, the, the temple is established. All these things that are going on are, are for the pur- purpose of salvation for you and for me and for all of eternity. Okay? And he says this. Chapter 13, verse 31, he says, I arranged for the supply of wood and appointed times for the first fruits. Remember me, O oh God, for good. As I read that this week, there's something that occurred to me. It should have been obvious by the title. It should have been obvious by the scripture. It should have been obvious by the by the by the um, it being a journal, basically. You know what? It, it, it's it is about a temple, and it is about a city, and it is about a people, and it is about a God. But more of that, Nehemiah, the chapter, or the book, is about a man. His story is my story. Maybe his story is your story. Of this struggle to be a faithful man or a faithful woman in the midst of a terrible, difficult time. You see, if, you, if, you, if this were a, if simply a, a, a movie about a city... It might be a semi-sort of success because the walls are intact. If it were a movie about a people, it might be a it might be a, a story of a failure because 
They did, they committed, and then they then they strayed. They committed, and they then they let people into the temple. They committed, and they they fell away. They committed, like okay, this is not very successful. But if you step back and realize, it's a movie and a story about a man who followed God and who was faithful to what God called him to do. Was he perfect man? No. There was one. His name is Jesus. So no, he wasn't a perfect man. Let's go ahead and say that. But he pursued God with all of his heart. He started this this letter, or started this book, or this journal with prayer, and he ends it with a prayer. God, remember me. Or does God give notice to me? God, have your eyes on me. Have your heart set up set on me. God, remember me. Romans 12, chapter, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says this. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living, holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that so you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. That's what I think God's called us to do and to be. To be a people who are set apart and holy. Be a people who are stewards of our time, talent, and treasures, and a people that when we sacrifice, we set apart, we live a life of sacrifice, we set apart our heart, our home, and of worship. In essence, family, conference is over. Let's go again. Let's go out there and be like Christ. It's going to be sort of like Nehemiah and how he pursued God and what he had called him to do and to be. And what are we called to do and to be? To be living, breathing examples of people who follow Christ. Even through struggle, even through difficulty, and even through pain. Because eternity matters. Real brief. Is your struggle tomorrow that you will face worth a point of entry for Christ to speak into somebody's life that changes their eternity? We say again, is the struggle you'll face tomorrow worth causing a port of entry for Christ to speak into somebody's life, therefore changing eternity? Let me phrase it another way. Was Christ living, leaving heaven to come dwell on this earth for 33 years and be nailed to a cross? Was that worth changing eternity? He thought so. So I ask you, in your struggle tomorrow, it's coming. When you've dedicated your time, your talent, your treasure, when you set apart your heart, your home, and your and your worship, I think you've pushed some of the evil influences out of your life, and you're better prepared to be an example of a living, breathing follower of Christ, so that you can be that example of what it means to follow Christ. God bless you. I love you. I'm thankful for what God's doing in your life. And I ask him to speak into our lives every day. Again, if you're not a follower of Christ, I'm glad you came to our family meeting.
But I invite you. I invite you to allow him to step into your life to help you, to guide you, to direct you. You don't have to do this world alone. You don't have to walk this path alone. Christ wants to be your Lord and Savior to help you and guide you and make you a living, breathing example of me to follow him. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for a time that we can honestly be, be very transparent of what your word says. Thank you that uh, chapter 13 was not left out of this, this book. Lord, help us to close the door and help us to confront some things that have our influences in our life so that we can live lives dedicated to you. Nehemiah's story is our story. We ask for your help as we step into this afternoon and tomorrow being a living, breathing example of a follower of Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.